We're going to start in verse 8. We probably will finish up Ecclesiastes 5 tonight. A few sections of Ecclesiastes are are really good and easy to understand. Some of them are a little more of a head-scratcher and kind of of jump around a little bit. It seems like maybe from one topic to another. That kind of was the case last week. Uh, It's kind of hard to know maybe how those things go together. Tonight's passage is a little easier to understand, at least for me, in some sense. And tonight we'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll start in verse 8, but we'll pray before we get started. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word, and I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that I would preach and teach in a way that brings glory to you, dear Lord. There's nothing good I can say, God, apart from you speaking through me. So I pray that you would take away my pride and my fear and Let your Holy Spirit be with us tonight, that we would hear your word, that maybe there's one verse in here that each of us need to hear. Maybe we're all in a different spot in our life, and indeed, God, we are. But you know what we need to hear, when we need to hear it. So God, let us hear what we need to hear tonight, or tuck away in our heart maybe what we need to recall at some future time. But I pray, God, that you'd be with us as we look at these verses tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Amen. We have seen through the book of Ecclesiastes so far that life is kind of a bump, that, that you go through life and there seems to always be bad things that occur. And that's what the, the author of Ecclesiastes here, as some would suggest it, is Solomon. Regardless of who wrote it, the author here has discovered that there is not much in life that has meaning. There is much meaning to be found in God, the author tells us when we get to the end of the book. But as the book is progressing along, he has pointed out many areas of life in which he has discovered that life is meaningless. And I believe if we live long enough, those of us who even have a small amount of wisdom will begin to recognize some of these same things, that many of the things in life that we perhaps used to think were really something special we come to discover as we grow older that, well, many things in life are really quite meaningless. And that partially comes with age. It partially comes with wisdom. But I would say that the sooner we realize that, the better off we are. The problem is sometimes we are so foolish and stubborn that we may not realize that until late in life. And for some folks, sadly, they never realize the things that really matter. They spend a lifetime searching for the things that do not matter. So the quicker we we hear the words of the writer of Hebrew, uh, Ecclesiastes here and live by those words, the better it will be for us. Now, one of the key topics that seems to kind of weave its way repeatedly through the book is the idea of having wealth and really the meaninglessness that comes along with wealth. Now, we probably all at some point in time in our life uh, have strived or maybe are striving for some type of worldly wealth, and perhaps we come to the realization that worldly wealth is really not that, not as good as we had hoped it would be. And that's kind of what we see here in the passage tonight. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and, right, and righteousness in the province, don't be astonished at the situation. Because one official protects another official, and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. Now, here is something that perhaps we see 
often in our world today. And what is that? Oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness. And what does it say the cause of some of these things are? Well, it says people who are in power. What does it say? The official. The official is behind these things. Those that make the decisions, that make the laws, that are in leadership. And there's this hierarchy. We see it in our government or in governments around the world. And they may all be set up somewhat different, but usually there's someone who's over a group of people and someone else who's over that person and someone else who is over that person. And this idea that our world is corrupt and that there are corrupted leaders that lead to corruption uh, uh, and, and perversion of things that should be good. They pervert justice. They oppress people. They don't use the power that they have been given by God for the good of people, but they use it for themselves. That's the dangerous thing about power that we must be on guard for. Now, it doesn't matter if we're the president of a country or the king of a land. There is probably, for all of us in our life, at some point in time, some power that we wield, some position that we are perhaps the chairman of some committee, maybe even something as small as that, or the pastor of a church, or whatever it may be, there are positions in our life which sometimes come along with a little bit of power. And it's unbelievable how a little bit of power can often go to our heads if we are not careful. And what does it say that does? Well, for here, these who have power, they're using the power not for their good, but to oppress other people. And they are perverting justice. And so he's pointing out a truth that we all see here. Now, some of your translations will say there's one that is higher and one that is higher still. Uh, perhaps this is to be taken uh, as a reference to God, saying that even though there are, the, there are those who are higher than us in positions of power, ultimately there is one who is higher than all, and that is the Lord. So the translations may differ a little bit there, uh, but both of those ideas are true. A, that there are people in this world who are higher than others, who have power, that use that power for wrong things. And the second idea is that God is higher than all and will one day bring all things into judgment. Both of those things are true. So no matter what your translation would say there, the scriptures here and elsewhere would support uh, both of those ideas, I believe. It says in verse 9, the profit from the land is taken by all. The king is served by the field. And so uh, we, we see a, a simple idea here that the land provides for everybody from the lowest of the people, the poor that are oppressed, to the king. Uh, the same food grows and is provided for all of them, but not all those who have the power to disperse that food evenly uh, do so. Some use their power uh, for, for the wrong reasons. All right, verse 10. The one who loves money is never satisfied with money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This too is futile. Now this is a good verse for us to consider. Now we may read a verse like this and say, Oh, I don't love money. And maybe we don't love money. Or maybe we love money and we don't realize that we love money. Maybe our desire for things and our desire for the money to get those things, we have a love and a desire for things greater than we even realize. But what does it say here? The one who loves money is never satisfied. I believe it's fair to say there that we could also say the one who loves things is never satisfied, right? No matter how much we get, we always want a little bit more. 
when we, when we finally think we've got where we want to go and we've got all the money we want, we've got all the possessions we want, there's something else that's a little further out of our grasp, as though the thing that we really desire when we get close to it, it grows wings and flies away. We can never really grasp what we think we want. And the problem with this idea of loving money and wanting more money and wanting more things, I believe that that stems from discontentment. If we are content with what we have, no matter how little or how much, that stops those desires of us always reaching for just a little more. But at the end of the day, you can never have enough. And perhaps this is a lesson that some of us have learned. Perhaps you can look back at a time in life when you wasn't making much money and you didn't have nothing, and yet somehow you always had enough to get by. And you get a better job or something happens and you get to make more money and you get more stuff, which means more bills. And at the end of the month, you still have just as little as you did when you were making a lot. And you could double whatever income you're making now. And guess what? You would probably still have the same problem. That's oftentimes the way things go. And we always want just a little more than what we got. That's a good temptation of the devil. If I could just have this thing, I would be happy. And then we get that thing and we think, well, if I could just have the next thing. And so this love of money that is never satisfied or this love of wealth or possessions or whatever it may be that is never satisfied, that is a valuable lesson for us to learn. Maybe some of us have learned that lesson. Maybe some of us are trying to learn that lesson. Maybe some of us have never even considered that lesson. But tonight we need to begin to consider that lesson to make sure that our love of money and possessions is not driving us and bringing with it a lot of stress because that's often what happens. This desire to have more stuff means we have to make more money, and to make more money means we have to work harder, and at the end of the day, we got a bunch of stuff, but we also have a bunch of stress, and we still are not satisfied. And so that's the trap. That's the danger. That's the, that's the reality of this, of, of this wealth and money and pleasure and things of the world that the author of Ecclesiastes has realized, wait a minute, this idea that if I just had a little more, uh, everything would be good, he's realized that that is untrue because he has all that he could ever want. And yet, guess what? He is still unsatisfied, and that comes from discontentment. And that may be what's going on in some of our lives. If there is some dissatisfaction that's going on, it may be that we are simply not content with what God has given us. Verse 11, When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? Now, I think maybe what this is saying, if, if there's someone who has a lot, right? You have a little bit, you, you have your own home, you take care of your own stuff, you wash your own dishes, you wash your own clothes, you barely get enough to get by, but you get by. But then as you begin to get, get wealthy, you get a bigger house and you're still able to take care of it. And then maybe you get an even bigger house and say, okay, well, I'm going to pay somebody to cut the grass and I'm going to pay somebody to clean the house and I'm going to pay somebody to cook the food. I've got the money to do that. But, but even though you've got more coming in, you're spending all that on these other things that are getting done. And at the end of the day, all that you have worked hard for and all that you obtained that you thought would make you healthy is just you're just watching it all go right back away. So you're not increasing your wealth. You're not getting any more satisfaction than you were when you were poor and doing everything yourself than when you were rich and someone else is doing everything for you. At the end of the day, you've got nothing to show for it because you're watching all that you've, that you've accumulated 
be gone at the end of the day. This is meaningless. This is futile, right? This is the same language that we have seen throughout the book up to this point. Verse 12, the sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundant of the rich permits him no sleep. I think that is a, that is a beautiful verse. If you're living right, if you're doing light, right, if you're seeking the Lord, if you're working hard and you got a clear conscience, then you sleep good. You'll sleep sweet. But what so often happens when we obtain wealth and we obtain power? Well, all of a sudden our wealth and our riches cause things to occur in our life. What does it say? Uh, for, the, for the one who works hard, whether he eats little or much, hey, he sleeps good. Everything is okay. So it doesn't matter if he's if he's eating ramen noodles every night. It's all right. He sleeps good. But what does it say of the one who has an abundance? But the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Now, surely that doesn't make sense. Surely if you have everything you desire and want and the best of the best meals and feasts and, and things to drink, surely you would sleep better. But what does the author of Ecclesiastes say? Not so. Perhaps if you're very wealthy, you don't do any work at all. And that doesn't make you feel good. Perhaps if you're very wealthy, you're eating a bunch of junk and you're, and you're gorging yourself and you're drinking the finest things that are not making you feel good. And so even though you have this abundance of food, perhaps you're eating so much that it's causing you to be miserable. Maybe the abundance that's being spoken of here is not food. Now, it's speaking of food there in the, in the, verse, uh, the part of the verse before. So in the context could be speaking of an abundance of food that is, that is robbing the, the rich person of, of sleep. However, it could just be simply the abundance of what they have obtained, right? We think about all the stuff that we got. Oh, I need more of this, more of this. I've got to get the money for that. I've got the money for this. I'm going to buy this new thing. I'm going to get this new thing. I'm going to do this new thing. And maybe that's the abundance that keeps the rich from sleeping. Maybe for the rich to be able to remain rich and continue to obtain these wealthy things that they desire, it means that they have to work harder. Oh, I'm going to have to get up early in the morning. Oh, I got to, oh, what, what's this going on at work? This thing's going on at work. That thing's going on at work. And all these things that go on at work, the job that we work at to make the money, to buy the stuff that brings stress to our life, cheats us of the sleep that we desire at night. So what does the author of Ecclesiastes say? Well, the same thing he said uh, on occasion throughout this, the idea that sometimes it's better to have a little and to be satisfied than to have a lot because oftentimes when we have a lot, what comes with a lot is a lot of stress. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has come to realize. Verse 13, there is a sickening tragedy I have seen under the sun, wealth kept by its owner to his harm. Okay, so sometimes he says that those who are wealthy that have a lot of wealth, it's to their own harm. Now, maybe what he's speaking of there is simply being greedy. That's something that, that the Scripture talks about. We should not be greedy. Maybe one who has a lot of wealth wants a lot, of more wealth, a lot more wealth. They keep all that wealth, and perhaps their wealth is to their harm. Maybe they are using that wealth for things that they shouldn't use that wealth for. <clears throat> maybe they are using that wealth to, <coughs> excuse me, to sin in some way. And so this is a tragedy, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, that someone keeps wealth to his own harm. Maybe they have wealth and they could use that wealth to help others who are in need. But instead of helping those who are in need, they pass them by and they do not use their wealth for good. They sit on their wealth. 
And that is to the harm of the person who has the ability to do and to help someone and refuses to offer help to someone in which they have the ability to help. Perhaps that is the idea that's being spoken of here. Verse 14. That wealth was lost in a bad venture. So when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. Now it's possible that these two verses go together. It's possible that these things stand alone and are kind of two separate ideas. So one tragedy is someone keeps wealth to his own harm. Another thing that is not good here is that wealth was lost in a bad venture. So this person has a lot of money and they're investing and they're doing foolish things with their money and they lose all of their money. And what does it say here? That so when a he fathered a son, he wasn't able to give anything to his son. Now, the idea that a father is not able to leave behind a big inheritance for a son, I don't think that that in and of itself is a bad thing. There have no doubt been countless fathers who have worked hard and provided for their children and worked and worked and worked and were, and, and were wise as they could be, but when their life was over, they didn't have a lot to leave to their child. That's just the way it was. I don't think that that's what the, the tragedy is here, the problem is here. The problem is not that one is not able to amass this huge wealth to leave to a child, but that one has a huge wealth and they blew that wealth in some way, shape, or form. They, they were foolish and they lost it. And when they could have provided for their children instead because of their greed or their bad decisions or whatever it may be, their wealth was taken from them or their wealth was lost. And what a tragedy it is to live so foolishly that you cannot provide or give to your children once that time comes. And that's what he's speaking of here, I believe. Verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does the one gain who struggles for the win? What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. Now this is an idea perhaps that we are familiar with. Perhaps we have said this very idea before. We came into this world with nothing and we will leave this world with nothing. This is important for us to realize. We, a lot of people are, are very consumed with their wealth and their money and what's going to happen to their money when they're gone and are they going to be buried in the finest casket or the finest clothes or whatever. It makes no difference. It makes no difference how much money that we have accumulated. It makes no difference how nice our casket is or our clothes are or any of those things. It's not going to matter. We came into this world with nothing, and when we leave this world, we are going to leave with nothing. And so it's not about what we are going to take with us, because we are not going to take anything with us, but it's about what we leave behind. And I don't mean that in the sense of, okay, what are we going to leave as an inheritance to other people? Okay, I'm going to give my house to this person and my money to this person. No, what is important that we leave behind is the legacy that we leave. The impact that we have in this world. Are we doing good things for our world? Are we imparting the wisdom of Jesus Christ to those that we encounter? Are we imparting the word of God to those that we encounter? Those are things that are going to make a difference in this world. Because when we are dead and gone, our children will be left. And our grandchildren will be left. And if we have not poured into them the things of the world that really matter, guess what? They will learn this same lesson. 
They will go through the same things that the writer of Ecclesiastes did. They will seek the wealth of the world. They will strive for the wealth of the world. Now, hopefully, they will discover that there is something more than the wealth of the world, and that is God. They may discover that, or they may not discover that. They may go through life struggling and depressed and and stressed all the time because they're trying to get the things of the world without realizing there's something better in God. And so it's important for us who read the Word of God, who hear the Word of God, one, to live by that Word of God ourselves, realize these truths, and two, impart these truths to our children and to our grandchildren and say, let me tell you what matters. Let me tell you what wisdom looks like. Let me tell you, hey, here is a better way to live your life, not for the world, but for the Lord. That's the realization that the writer of Ecclesiastes here has come to. And what does it say at the end of of, uh, verse uh, 16? What does one gain who struggles for the wind? The idea being, okay, the wind's blowing, you can't see it, it's going here and there. If you struggle to catch the wind, what are you going to do if you catch it? You're not going to catch it. It's something that's unobtainable. And even if you were to obtain it, then what would you do? That's kind of how it is with wealth. Oftentimes we are chasing wealth. We are chasing things that ultimately are unobtainable, the things that we think are going to make us happy, we never obtain. And then when we do finally obtain those things that we thought would bring us the most joy in the world, we say, okay, what now? I got it, what now? There's, guess what? There's still some emptiness in me because there is no fulfillment of any kind of joy uh, in us in the things of the world. So hopefully we learn those lessons. We have learned those lessons, or we will learn those lessons by reading books like Ecclesiastes. What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much sorrow, sickness, and anger. Now, that's that's a pretty pretty sad and scary thing, that someone would have everything in the world that they could possibly want, and yet how are their days lived out? They eat in darkness. That is, the days are bad. They're not good. They're they're living in darkness. They're living in this this sorrow, in this sickness. They're just angry. You know, sometimes maybe we feel that way. We get all the things we want, things you know, from the outside look good in life, but because of our discontentment, we're not happy. We're moping around, we're angry, we're in darkness, we're in sorrow and sickness, and and we feel this way sometimes. And why do we feel this way? Well, I believe that we feel this way when we are discontent, when we are seeking things of the world so much so that we think we're going to find pleasure in them when really there is no pleasure for the most part at least not in in great wealth in the way that we may think it might be. And perhaps God is saying, you know, enjoy the simpler things in life, as we see in these next verses here. Verse 18, here is what I have seen to be good. Okay, so we've, you know, we talk about bad stuff in Ecclesiastes. He's talked about all this stuff, and it's like, man, this is a bummer, right? Life's a bummer. Everything is bad. Nothing's good. That's kind of what we've seen through the whole book. But, But he does on occasion point this idea out to us. And we've already seen it a few times up until this point. And he's going to point out the same idea to us again. Okay, so some of these things are bad, but what is good? He says, here is what I've seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good and all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. So when all is said and done, I think if we can sum this up, I think it's fair to, to sum it up in this way. Enjoy the simple things in life. 
God has given you things. He's blessed you with things. Don't seek the wealth and the, and the possessions and the things of this world that will not bring you satisfaction, but enjoy the simpler things in life. Eat, drink, and, 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 uh, uh, and experience good in all the labor one does. So work, work hard. Enjoy a little bit of what you work hard for, but don't go overboard because it's when we begin to seek the wealth, when we begin to seek the things, that we have to begin to work harder and harder and harder, and that comes with stress, and that comes with miserableness. And so would it be better to work harder and always be stressed, or would it be better to say, I'm going to labor and I'm going to work, but I'm also going to enjoy life? There needs to be a balance there. And so many times, I think, in this world, the scales are not balanced. They're, for some people, they just want to enjoy life all the time and they don't ever want to work, and that's not healthy. For other people, they work, 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 but there's no enjoyment in life. And so there has to be some balance there. Yeah, it's good for us to work. God wants us to work. We want to contribute to society and contribute to the kingdom of God. And there is blessing in that. And when we work hard and when we do right, we will sleep well at night and we can eat and we can drink and we can enjoy the simple things of life that God has blessed us with or not. Or we can be lazy, or we can work too hard, but those things come with no enjoyment either. And so there's a balance that I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us of here, and that is our reward, he says. While we're under the sun, that is, while we're on earth, while we do these things, the, there are simple things that God has blessed us with to get us through this life. As much of a bummer as it is, as, as stressful as life may be, and as scary as it may be, and as hard as it may be, there needs to be this enjoyment that we can find that God, he gives us rest. He gives us some peace if we're willing to, to find that in the Lord. Verse 19, God has also given riches and wealth to every man. Now, my translation reads that way. However, most of your translations are going to read something like, to every man whom God has given riches and wealth. Now, that seems to be more natural to me. That seems to be the better reading of this. Now, the reason why it's different, we see differences like this, is because it's very hard. When we look at the, at the Hebrew or the Aramaic or whatever languages sometimes we see in Scripture, it's not like there's an exact word-for-word -word, uh, interpretation that we get there. The words are kind of scattered when we, when we look at the original language. And so we have to put those words into some kind of order in English that makes sense. And so sometimes the interpreters don't always agree on which words go in which order because they're kind of scattered around. And so some of your translations may say God has also given riches and wealth to every man. Uh, we could say that that is true in some sense. We certainly would say that that is not true in the sense that everybody has a billion dollars and has fancy houses and fancy cars. God has not given us wealth in that sense and made us rich in that sense. But on the flip side, we could say that God has given us riches. Now, by a worldly standard, we may determine that richness is some level way up here. But maybe richness to God is simply that, okay, I give you some clothes to wear, I give you some, some food to eat and a place to stay. It may not be the nicest clothes, it may not be the best food, but I've provided for you in these ways. And maybe that, that idea right there is simply the richness of God. So that may be one way we could interpret the idea that, okay, God gives richness to every man. Or, if the other translation is correct, and that is, to every man that God has given richness and wealth, there's something that he says here. Uh, and he has allowed him to enjoy them. Okay, so, so maybe not everybody is going to have 
richness and wealth. But to those whom God has given it to, he has allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God, for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Here we see the same idea that we saw in the verses before. There are things that God gives us, and what does it say here? That they are a gift from God. And so we should take this gift, and we should rejoice in this gift, and we should enjoy some of the things that God has given us without going overboard. God gives us good things, but even good things become bad. Now, there are, there is uh, lots of wine drinkers out there in the world, and God has given us wine, and if you like wine, wine's a good thing, but getting drunk is not a good thing. And so to drink wine is not a sin, but to get drunk on wine is a sin. That's one example of something that is good that sometimes we can go overboard. Now, there are a million examples we could go with here of things that God gives us that are good, that we could use for good, but so many times we use for bad. You could take Facebook, for instance. You could, put on, you could look on Facebook, and if you got a prayer request or a prayer need, you could say, hey, look, could you give me prayer in this way? And that's a good way to use the Internet. It's a, not necessarily a bad thing. Or we could get on Facebook, and we could get on there, and we could begin to gossip, and we could begin to share things that are inappropriate. Now, Facebook in and of itself is not evil, but how we use things like that are evil. That's another example. And so God gives us many things that are good, and we need to enjoy the good in those things, but not get overboard, not get drawn in, not get uh, completely uh, just focused on those things entirely and let those things be what drive us. What does it say? That Verse 24, he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Now, wouldn't that be a beautiful place for us to be? That we're not overrun with the stresses and the things of this world, but instead we do not even consider the days of our life, but we are occupied with the joy of our heart. Now, that's a good place to be. When we are stressed, when we work too hard, when we desire the things of the world, that is not a good place to be. But I think what he's saying here is when we enjoy the gift of God, the things that God has blessed us with for our good, the simpler things in life that we should find enjoyment in, when God is our focus, then we will find enjoyment in that. And our thoughts will be on those things, and we will find joy in life. And so where is joy in life found? It's found in contentment with the Lord. And as we have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, that idea and that thought, God has really, really been speaking to me through this work because it's like, holy smokes, you know, there are so many things in this world that are so tempting. And too many times I have given in to those things. But as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it is some good stuff here for us to, to consider. And where does our joy come from? It comes from the Lord. So with all of these bad things that we have seen, he comes to the same conclusion that he always comes to. The same conclusion that we come to at the end of every time that we have talked about the book of Ecclesiastes. And when you get to the end of the book, he says, When all is said and done, there is only one thing that matters, and that is to fear God and to keep his commands. He has discovered that truth, and we need to discover that truth today. That we don't get caught up in the lies and the deception that wealth will provide all we need and make us happy, because it will not. 
But the Lord will provide all we need and bring joy to our life if we are content in Him. That joy comes through Jesus Christ, that God has prepared a way for us through Jesus Christ. That's where our joy comes from. That's where our forgiveness comes from. And that's what we need to be content in. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good word. And there is such good stuff here for us to consider and to get and to live by. And it is not hard, God. It is a constant struggle, I believe, God, probably for every one of us. This, the temptations of the world and the things of the world that seem good, it's a battle, dear Lord. But help us, not to, help us not to lose those battles, but to win more and more of them through your power. That we don't, we don't cave in to the way of the world, dear Lord, but that we are content with you, that we trust you, that we love you, that we enjoy the things that you blessed us with and continue to bless us with. So God, help us to learn this lesson. Help us to learn the things that, that, the, that the writer of Ecclesiastes has told us tonight. And let us find that joy that he speaks of, dear Lord. That our heart would find peace and rest and joy and satisfaction in the simpler things of life. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.